Please have a seat. Sit anywhere you like. I'm so glad you dropped in today. I get so so few visitors these days. Can I get you anything? Suit yourself. I know why you're here. You want to ask me about him. You want to know what I think about it. If I ever think about it. Do I ever think about it? Every time I come across that Isaiah text, I think about it. I'll never forget that day. It's been years now. The day he read that scripture and preached his only sermon in our synagogue. There was a lot of anticipation in the crowd. It had been a long time since a local boy had gone off to study with the elders and had come home as a teacher and preacher. So the expectations were pretty high in his hometown, and there's nothing wrong with that, really. I think it's completely natural to wish the best for someone and what they choose to do with their life. And we were so proud of him and of how well he spoke, for we had heard of wonderful things that he had done during his apprenticeship in nearby towns and villages. Actually, we heard of some pretty unbelievable things that he had done. So in hindsight, I I guess some of our expectations were unusually high. For his text that day, he selected that beautiful bit from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor. You know the text. We hear it when it comes up every year at Shul. But I guess it's what he implied with that text that got everybody upset. You know how it goes. When people attend worship, they want to come away feeling good about themselves and their relationship with God. And since this preacher was one of us, we expected, because he knew us so well, that he would speak to that need deep inside each of us. The need to feel as one of God's children, chosen and beloved, as taught us by the law and the prophets. The problem wasn't that he said we weren't beloved by God. He didn't say anything like that at all. Nor would he. The trouble started when he said that others were beloved by God. Others whom we knew couldn't possibly be beloved by God. I mean, it's one thing for a preacher to claim the power of the Spirit and speak about good news and salvation and release and all that God talk. But it's quite another thing for the same preacher to expand the field of just who can be eligible to receive that good news, that release from blindness or captivity, that acceptability of the Lord's favor. I mean, here we are, occupied, trying to keep our heads down, minding our own business, not trying to draw too much attention to ourselves, trying to be good people. And along comes Rabbi Nobody, suggesting that we expand the circle of God's grace, of God's favor, to include people who were not like us. People 
so different from us that it wasn't socially or ritually acceptable to sit down at the same table even for a meal with them. Now, where would that lead us if we were to do that? Doesn't he know about how dangerous accepting foreigners and strangers can be to a peace-loving society? All that time spent furthering his education, studying the scriptures, all that time spent in prayer and contemplation, and this is what he comes up with? Who does he think he is? You would think that he took that Isaiah passage personally, as if he had become, as if it had become his own individual purpose and mission in his life, his reason for living. At least, I guess, that's how we understood what he said. Yes, I know it was only his first sermon in his hometown, too. But we had heard enough. He had stepped over a line that tradition and scripture had drawn on the sand long before he ever came around. A line that we could point to and say, enough! Looking back on it now, I guess that's what we did. He hadn't even finished his sermon when some of the elders stood up and began to physically escort him out. Then others stood up shouting and it began to get pretty ugly right there in the synagogue. The crowd poured out into the street and became almost like a mob. Someone shouted, we should drag him out to the edge of town and shove him off a cliff. Other voices suggested stoning him. And cheers of approval went up for some of these ideas. But there was no reason for any of that. This boy's family was too well-known and respected to have such a disgrace come to them. So in all the confusion going on, some of the elders apparently let him slip away through the crowd and leave town. Honestly, I, I don't recall if he ever came back to Nazareth. We continued to hear about him from time to time, reports mostly about things he had done, stories of people he had supposedly healed of various diseases, and much talk about his surging popularity. And naturally, lots of gossip about him starting to include these outsiders and Gentiles among his own followers. We could see that coming. It was only a matter of time. I think it was about three years after his sermon. In the spring of that year, around Passover, we had heard some very bad news about him. We heard that he got mixed up in serious trouble with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he had been arrested. And that he had been crucified by the Romans. Now, I may not have agreed with him, or his message, but nobody deserves to die like that. Nobody that good. And he was good. Ever since hearing the news about his death, I find myself from time to time thinking about him again. And thinking about that sermon of his his purpose, his mission. 
I suppose that in an ideal world, his message of total acceptance by God would be a good thing. But it's really not realistic. It would require too much of his students, his disciples, if you will, to expect them to embrace all humanity as equals in God's eyes, as, they, as he suggested they do, as he actually did. I think back to the text he used, the one we just heard. He, he would expect all of us to take the prophet Isaiah's charge that he embraced that day as our own charge. And I just don't think people will do that. Maybe some would, but most probably would not. I don't think I could. But it doesn't matter now because he's dead. It's been years since his crucifixion, so I seriously doubt that the name or message of Jesus of Nazareth is going to live on for much longer. Although, some say that they have seen him alive, that somehow, some way, he's been raised from the dead. I really don't know what to make of that. Only time will tell to see if any of his teaching lasts or not. That's the best test of the truth of it, really, whether any of his words or his message continues on and still makes a difference in people's lives. Maybe someday, a world like the one that this Jesus spoke about will come to pass. But it will take an act of God to bring it about. You see, there's a problem with his approach. Each generation of Jesus' followers would have to see his mission as their own mission. They would have to choose to live as he did, reaching out to include those who were excluded by that particular generation's beliefs or laws or by its societal norms. Ultimately, they would have to see the cause that Jesus lived and died for as their own cause to live and die for. And personally, I don't see many people being willing to do that. Religious people, you should know, religious people are too often, are too often willing to keep the status quo, to not rock the boat or cause trouble, than to stand up for what they believe in, especially in the face of vocal opposition or death. However, I suppose since Jesus himself stood up to that kind of pressure, others might be inspired to try to do it as well. And God bless them if they do. God bless them indeed. For it seems to me that without God's grace and blessing and favor in such an endeavor, one could do nothing by oneself to bring about such a peaceable kingdom.